going to be taking a break from the Gospel of Luke until the second week of January to address the family. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis chapter 2, where we're going to begin looking at God's design for the family. Unless you have been recently thawed from a 50-year cryonic freeze, you probably know that families are in big trouble in the world and they're in big trouble in the church. The world has forgotten what a family is and what it takes to have a happy, content, God-glorifying family. Satan has been hugely successful deceiving the world into thinking that pain and misery and fighting and strife and divorce are what families are all about. Sadly, many people in the church are following the world in that same path of destruction and misery and pain. And like steers stampeding towards the cliff, Christians are just being pushed along by culture rather than the word of God to destruction. Divorce, immorality, the murder of children through abortion, pregnancy outside of marriage, AIDS, homosexuality, same-sex marriages, polygamy, strife, anger, bitterness, emotional and physical abuse are epidemic. And it's worse than epidemic. They've become normal. They've become the normal panoptic thing that we see in the world today. People actually think that yelling and screaming and fighting are normal for Christian marriages. Well, it's not. It's wrong. It's carnal. It's wicked. It is sub-Christian. And what is the solution to all of this? Psychology? Majority opinion, evolution, which teaches there is no right, there is no wrong, there is no truth, there is no God, and there's no sin, because sin doesn't even exist. Should we turn to transcendental meditation, yoga, the government, Islam, Mormonism? What is the answer? What is the answer? The answer is... Found in the word of God. Hall of Fame football coach Vince Lombardi was convinced that the key to a strong football team was keeping a focus on the fundamentals of the game. And one day after his professional football players performed very poorly, after they had lost a game, he got them all together And he grabbed a football and said, gentlemen, this is a football. Well, people of Calvary Bible Church, this is a Bible. And if you are a Christian, you have to do what this book says. And it's not an option. It's time to get a little whiplash here. And to jerk ourselves out of the cultural stream and start living like God, the God we profess to love and serve, tells us we must live. 
It is time to set things back to what normal Christianity is like. So that the normal Christian is the one who conforms to the word of God, not the exceptional super godly Christian. The word of God will bring us to many forks in the road and you will be challenged. Are you either going to submit to God's word and do what God says and be blessed and give him glory or not show hatred towards him and bring yourself pain and misery? And I'm going to purposely bring you to these forks. And you will have to make a decision of whether you're going to follow the all-knowing, all-wise, all-powerful God or not. I can tell you right now that some of you out there are going to be very uncomfortable. Some of you will be angry at me. You're going to be thinking to yourself, who is this guy? He is so dogmatic. He's so arrogant. He's so definitive. And you're going to think... What's wrong with him? Listen, I'm just the messenger. I'm just the messenger boy. I'm just here to tell you what God says you have to do. And if you don't like it, then you can take it up with God. But you know what? I don't really care what you think. I care for you. I care about you, but I don't care what you think about me. I care what God thinks about me. And God tells me to tell you what he says in his word. And that's what I'm going to do. Men, I want you to know this is going to be painful for you. I am going to come upon you like a roaring lion, like a mother bear robbed of her cubs. You will feel the sword of the spirit enter your own soul and it's going to hurt because the fault, the primary fault of family misery today is to be laid at the feet of lazy, stubborn, disobedient, selfish husbands. And some of you are going to be angry, not because I will fail to teach you the word, but because I will be confronting your unwillingness to submit to it. And I will be telling your wife and your children who are sitting next to you what you need to be. And you know, you aren't that. And so you're going to get mad at me, the messenger. Oh, well. I'm going to be shining a very bright light and placing it. The perfect standard of God's word right in front of you, in front of everybody's eyes. And, you know, you may call me a legalist, an ogre, a fanatic, some sort of theological dinosaur. You may accuse me. Oh, yeah, he's inept at interpreting the Bible. Hey, listen, you're going to get it and it's going to hurt. And you women don't think you're going to (laughs) escape. I'm going to beat up on the husbands first. Then comes the wives. I'm going to shine the light of God's perfect truth on your lives as well. And your husband and your children and your friends are going to hear what God says you must be. And you have to be that way. And they're going to see the difference. A wife cannot sin against God for anyone. Even if her husband says, you have to sin against God, honey. You have to say, no, I can't. 
And some of you will accuse me of being unloving and oppressive and insensitive and divisive and culturally out of tune, forsaking grace, naive. Listen, take it up with God, not me. Judgment must start with the household of God. And if we're ever going to help the world, the church needs to get its act together. God is the one who designed family. He holds the patents and we have to submit to his blueprints and children and junior hires and high schoolers and college students and singles who are young and singles who are old. Don't think you're going to escape either. As a matter of fact, if you're a child, when all the moms and dads who are going to be at the marriage retreat getting beat up, I'm going to beat up on you. We're going to have a whole message just for children to tell you what God says you have to do. Hebrews 4.12 makes it clear. It says, for the word of God is living, it is active, it is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and it is able to what? Judge. The thoughts and intentions of the hearts and you're going to be judged. It's going to come upon you. God's word is going to judge you from within. And if after listening to what God has to say about your role in the family, you walk away and do your own thing. These series of sermons will become a judge to first accuse you and then condemn you. Those who love God keep his commandments. Now, some of you are out there, and I know because of the first service, everybody looks like, you know. <laughs> Honey, maybe we should uh, visit some other churches <laughs> for the next several months. Well, don't despair. Hebrews twelve eleven says that all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. There's little growth without pain. It afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Husbands, do you come home to your best friend? To that happy, content, godly Proverbs 31 wife that you love Wives, do you love your husband when he comes home and you can't wait for him to get home so you can care for him, nurture him, be kind to him, fulfill your role as a wife to him? Children, do you have a mom and dad who love the Lord, who love each other, who set an example of what it means to pursue godliness, who you see serving in the church faithfully and reading the Bible and praying And teaching you how to live for God in a dark world? Do you see them being Christians in word and deed, not just on Sunday morning, but all the time? Do you know in your heart that your mom and dad will never get a divorce, ever, because they love God? And it's not happening. Be assured, I know that many people in this congregation are single moms, 
are husbands with unbelieving wives and wives with unbelieving husbands. People who have been divorced. People who have been pregnant out of wedlock. I know that. I know that. And God's grace is sufficient for you. Some of you are old and you're not going to get married. And you're thinking, what does this family series have to do with me? Well, if you ever talk to anybody who's part of a family, you know, you might want to know what to tell them to help them out. And be encouraged. Don't fret or be anxious. God's grace is sufficient for you. And just because we're going to be addressing the ideal, don't think this doesn't apply to you because you're in a less than perfect situation. To the degree that you, as an individual, can obey what God says you need to do, then do it and thank God. I mean, you can't save your husband or save your wife or go find a godly man or You know, whatever. I mean, you can't fix what's unfixable, but you can do what is doable. And you need to do that so you can go to bed at night. You can sleep with a clear conscience, knowing that your life is giving glory to God because you're doing what God asked you to do. You're doing the best you can. You can't fix the past, but right now you're doing what's right. And that's what we as a church need to be doing. So if you have your Bible... You're looking at Genesis 2, look at verse 18 and follow along as I read. Here we have the sixth day of creation. And we have God's design for the family laid out before us. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to or cleave or be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man And his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, from Genesis 2.24 and the surrounding context, I want to show you three necessary characteristics of every God-glorifying family. And then all the rest of the series is going to be based on this foundational information. And I want you to know, this is going to... Freak some of you out. People, when they see what's going to be on the marquee out front, will probably crash as they drive by. (laughs) But in order to get things straightened out, we have to start at the basics. This is the Bible. This is Genesis. This is what the family is. And then we'll build off of that. The first thing you need to know is that marriage constitutes a complete Family. A lot of times you talk to, you know, young married couples and they say things like this. You know, we're thinking of starting a family. No, no, I'm sorry. Your family's already started. A husband and a wife without children are a complete family unit. 
You see, and their comment implies that you aren't a family until you have children. Listen, children are just temporary additions. They're just there for a time and then they take off and start their own permanent family unit. It's true that a husband and wife and a child constitute a family, but it's also true that a husband and wife without children constitute a family of the most fundamental kind. Look at Genesis 2:24, where we see that marriage or family units happen when this reason happens. A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and they become one flesh. And there are four basic characteristics of marriage and family maintained in this verse. First is this one man and one woman. Notice the text says, for this reason, a man shall shall, and then later in the verse, be joined to his wife, man and wife. This is the first necessary attribute. And you would think that we wouldn't even have to mention this, but I want you to know it's not one man and two women. It's not one man and another man. It's not one woman pretending to be a man and another woman. It's one man and one woman. And if it's not that. It's not a family of God's design. It is a perversion. Secondly, there must be leaving. The text also says, for this reason, that is the reason of marriage, of creating a new family unit, a man shall leave his father and mother. Now, the word leave can be understood in two primary ways. One way is to think of it as geographically. You know, you get out of the area of them. You know, move to a different state, a different county, uh, The problem is, is all the way through the Bible, we see married people and whole tribes all living together in close proximity. So that's not the best way to understand this. The word leave actually means to abandon, depart, divorce, or forsake. It is the departure from something that you were committed or united to. And so the second and best way to understand this is that is a departure from former commitments to a family unit to establish new priority commitments to a new family unit. It is a public declaration that you are now leaving these family priorities to establish new family priorities. Our culture usually has elaborate ceremonies to declare the marriage union, union, but bare minimum You have to go stand before a judge with a couple witnesses. Why? To declare that you are husband and wife. It has to be public. You have to have a public declaration of your leaving to start a new family. And if you don't do that, then you commit fornication. That's what fornication is. A failure to make a public declaration as a man to take full responsibility for this woman and any children that might come along until the children leave home until the wife dies. And that is why there must be a leaving. And if there isn't, if there isn't a declaration, it is a perversion of God's design. Third, there must be a joining or as the King James version puts a cleaving Now, cleaving is a bad word because if you look it up in the dictionary, it means to break apart. 
He's not talking about that. He's talking about joining. As a matter of fact, if you look at other translations, NASB has joining. The English Standard Version, hold fast. Uh, The NIV translates it united. The word literally means in the Hebrew to cling to, hold to, or stick to. It might be paraphrased for this this, uh, reason. A man must leave his father or mother and be superglued to his wife permanently. That's what it's talking about. And it's not talking about physically, though. That happens in the next phrase. It's talking about an emotional and mental bond and commitment to one another. A permanent state of, of commitment towards the other person. To, to be cemented emotionally and relationally to this one person. And if you don't do that, it's a perversion of God's design. Fourth. They must become one flesh. This is the physical aspect. Here Moses describes the physical consummation of the marriage where a man and a woman come together in sexual intimacy. And that is the uniting of them in one flesh. And when these four criteria are met, you have a marriage, a family, according to God's design. If you don't. You have a perversion. For instance, fornication is wrong because it violates the public leaving and permanent cleaving criteria. Adultery, homosexuality, and polygamy are wrong because they violate the criteria of one man and one woman and the criteria of permanently cleaving to one person of the opposite sex. Divorce is wrong because it violates permanent cleaving criteria of marriage and often leads to a violation of the leave criteria and the one flesh criteria. Yes, the Bible does allow for divorce. I know a lot of you have been divorced, but it was never God's intention from the beginning. Jesus made this clear in Matthew 19 that it was never part of God's original blueprints to allow for divorce. Divorce has been allowed since the fall because of sin and the hardness of men's hearts. In other words, in the case of adultery or the case of abandonment, God allows, does not command for divorce to take place in order to protect those who have been sinned against. But it's not part of the original blueprints. The family problems we are facing today are the result of men and women Refusing to submit to God's design for marriage. And when God's design is rejected, then you get all sorts of catastrophe, pain, sin, divorce, and death. Now, the problem is that the world, in many cases, the church had become ignorant of what the Bible says. And so how do we fix the problem? Well, we fix the problem when the church gets informed of what God says and starts doing what God says so we can be a witness to the world. Because if you aren't living God's truth in your life as a Christian, your witness is shot. You have basically hid the light of God's truth under the peck measure of your sin. And you know what happens You can't tell somebody, oh, you need to follow Jesus. You need to love Jesus when you aren't following Jesus and you aren't loving Jesus. You can't say, oh, God has a wonderful plan for your life. And, oh, it'll be so joyful when they see you have a bad marriage. You open up the peck measure, you little let out a little light. And what do they say? Hypocrite. I mean, isn't that what they say? You start witnessing to somebody say, well, you know, Christians are. 
hypocrites. So why do they say that? Because they look at your life and they look at what you say you believe and who you follow. And now your life contradicts what the word of God says. And you are a hypocrite. And so if we're ever going to make a huge impact on the world, and this relates directly to evangelism. If we're ever going to make a huge impact on the world, we have to get holy in this area. And we have to start having marriages and families and children who are according to God's design, not the world's. Otherwise, we are no different from the world and we have nothing to offer them. We are the same as they are. So what is a marriage? It's a family. And what are the four criteria? One man, one woman, one public declaration to leave their former family allegiances to replace them with new ones, permanent joining emotionally and mentally to one another and uniting an intimate physical union. If you don't have these things, you don't have a family according to God's design. Secondly, know that the husband is the head of the wife. Does that shock you? It shocks some people, even in the church. That's what the Bible teaches all over the place. That's not some sort of fanatic, abnormal Christian teaching. It's just normal Bible stuff. And again, right now I'm giving you the big picture. Later on, we're going to get into the details. And Genesis is the place where the headship of the husband in both the family and church is clearly established. For instance, Paul, when he speaks to the Corinthians, says in 1 Corinthians 11, 8 and 9, after he talks about the husband being the head of the wife, he says, for man does not originate from woman, but woman for man. For indeed, man was not created for woman's sake, but woman for man's sake. He references the text we just read at the beginning to prove everybody knows that men are to be leaders in their home. Later on in first Timothy two eleven through 14, when Paul is addressing the uh, Timothy, who was the pastor of the church at Ephesus, telling him how the people in his church are to conduct themselves the house in the household of God. He says this, a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but it did not want a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet for it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was first deceived, but the woman being deceived. Eve fell into transgression, referencing what? Genesis. Get this. Male headship is not a matter of men oppressing women. Men have oppressed women. But that's not where it comes from. And that's not what it is. It was never God's design for men to oppress women. Secondly, it's not... Derived from cultural preferences or from uncivilized bigotry or as a result and consequence of the fall. It is not because females are inept or incapable of being leaders. For in many cases, they would be better leaders than males. It's all about submitting to God Almighty who tells us what we need to do, period. And if you're going to call yourself a Christian, you have to do this. It's not an option. Now, if that sounds shocking to you, then something's wrong. You have been deceived by the world into believing lies. 
And you need to confess that to God. It means you are unwilling to accept God's will for your family. Of course, you look at the culture, it would, of course, sound shocking to the culture, very countercultural. Good. We want to be countercultural. We're to be different, to be separate. So they look at, oh, yeah, well, Christians live like this. We live like this. They need to be able to see the contrast. And they don't see the contrast in your life. Something's wrong. So let's look at Genesis to see five reasons from the text for male headship. And again, we're going to describe what this is and isn't, is and is not, and all the abuses to come. We're just going to establish the fact of headship. First, Adam was first created, and then Eve. We saw that in the text. God created the man first. Not better. First. Not more valuable. First. That's all. Say, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, that's the argument Paul uses. It was Adam who was first created and then Eve. Why does he reference that? Because everybody knows that the firstborn always had what? The greater responsibility. Well, some people look at it as a blessing. You know, well, he got the double portion. Yes. But what did that mean? More responsibility. He was the one who had to make the decisions. He was the one who had to carry on the family and be the patriarch and You know, all of those responsibilities. And that was the responsibility that Adam had. That is the first reason. Secondly, it is clear from Genesis 2, verses 21 and 22, that the woman was taken from man, not man from the woman. This is significant. Adam was made out of dust. Woman was made out of man. That is, woman derives her origin, her existence from the man. She is dependent upon the man. That is Paul's argument in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 8. Third, Genesis 2.18 makes it clear that Eve was created for Adam, not Adam for Eve. In other words, God made Adam and they made woman for Adam to be a helper for him. Paul uses that argument in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 9. Adam was created first. Woman was created from man, and the woman was created for man. Male headship was established, in other words, before the fall. Fourthly, in Genesis 3.20, which is after the fall, but which may be narrating something that happened before the fall, we see Adam giving Eve her name. This is also significant, as in the Old Testament, whoever gave a name to something had Headship over it. You know, God comes to Abram and says, I'm changing your name. He comes to Jacob and says, hey, I'm changing your name. Abraham, you're going to be called or Abram, you're going to be called Abraham. And Jacob, you're going to be called Israel. Did they say, well, who gives you the right to do that? He's God. Could you imagine, you know, being at the hospital? And you say, you know, we're going to call our son John. The baby leaps up and goes, you can't do that. I want to be Billy. So you're the parents. You have the right. You have authority to do that. And so we see Adam's headship and that he was the one who gave Eve her name. Not Eve and not God. Adam. Fifth and finally, this is very significant. Adam 
not Eve, is blamed for the fall of mankind, which happened where? In Genesis. What happened? Eve was deceived. Eve sinned. Eve was the one who fell and then asked her husband to eat and then he fell. And then what does the Bible do? It says it was Adam who transgressed the covenant. You look in Romans chapter 5 verse 12. It says, and through one man sin entered into the world. The whole weight of all the responsibility of the fall of mankind was placed upon Adam because he failed in his leadership. He did not protect his wife. He did not stand up and say no. He allowed her to lead him into sin instead of him telling her, hey, baby, we are going there. And so how do we know that God wants males to be leading? Well, first, it was Adam who was first created. And then Eve. Secondly, it was Adam. It was from Adam that Eve was created. Third, Eve was created for Adam. Fourth, Eve was named by Adam. Five, Adam is blamed for the fall of man, not Eve. And six, the New Testament clearly teaches male headship. First Corinthians eleven three. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man. And the man is the head of woman. And God is the head of Christ. Crystal clear. So that's the second thing you need to know. If you're a husband, you've got the responsibility. Third, know that children are a temporary addition to the family. As we have already learned, marriage constitutes a complete family and children are only temporary additions. We already Mentioned Matthew 19, 6, where Jesus talks about marriage and says, what God has joined together, let no man separate. This is the point. You're thinking, so what's the big deal here? Here's the big deal. A marriage is to be permanent unto death. Children are to be temporary. Psalm 127, 4 says, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth, right? Listen, in case you're not a bow hunter, you keep the bow. And launch the arrows. (laughs) Children are arrows. And some of you are thinking, well, I wish they'd launch. You launch them. (laughs) Honey, your dad and I really love you. But you're moving out at the end of the month. But but, but mom, I I don't know if I can afford a place. Sorry. Necessity is the mother of invention. So you're sitting out there thinking, so, so children are temporary additions. Okay. And that means that the priority relationship, human relationship in the family is not between mom and the children, husband and children. Our mom and dad and the children, it's between who? Mom and dad. Mom and dad. The relationship between husband and wife is the hub. The children are the spokes. Do you want a more modern picture? The mom and dad are the operating system. Children are temporary applications. 
And everybody knows that if you don't keep your Windows operating system updated, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to be vulnerable to all sorts of viruses and all sorts of meltdowns and crashes and system malfunctions. And that's exactly what happens when a, 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 a husband and a wife begin to make their children the operating system, the applications, the main thing. And they're always updating the applications. They're allowing the operating system to fail. And then all of a sudden, the whole system crashes, they get a divorce, and the children suffer, and they suffer. Or the children finally leave home, and then one day the husband looks over at his wife, and the wife looks over at her husband and says, Who are you? I don't even know you anymore. Let's get a divorce. Why does that happen? Well, it happens because... The marriage has been neglected and slowly decays because there is a wrong priority. Too much attention. It's okay to give lots of attention to your children, but never at the expense of your marriage. Divorce takes place when all of those Temporary software applications are obsessed upon. Listen, your children, if they never watch TV, if they never play sports and never take a piano lesson, if they never drive a car or ever shop at a mall, if they never had any modern conveniences, they can still be godly, content, and perfectly happy apart from all of those things if they know the Lord. And they have you living in front of them, being content and knowing the Lord. There are many optional things in the world that you might let your children be involved in. But there are some things which are not an option. And one of the things that's not an option is you cannot neglect your marriage for your children. Marriage is to be permanent unto death. Children are temporary to get the boot. Parents run from place to place, event to event, practice to practice, game to game, store to store, and attempt to make sure that they match up with what the world says good parents should do for their children. But listen, the world doesn't know. That's why they're suffering so. Parents try to give their children everything they want, forgetting the Bible says the child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. More to come later. The best thing you can give your children is a sizzling, hot, God-glorifying marriage. They need to hear you say, no, not now. Don't bother us. We're kissing. (laughs) They need to hear you say, sorry, I can't take you to that event because your mom and I are going on a date. They need to hear you say, sorry, you can't have that this thing or that thing because mom and I are going away on a romantic interlude and we can't afford your thing. They need to see it. They need to hear it so that they know that their mom and dad's relationship is the priority over them so that when they leave, 
they will know what it's like to fulfill God's design for marriage. And if you don't show them that by word and by deed, then they're going to leave thinking the world evolves around them and they're going to get a job. And, you know, they're going to tell their boss, you know, I want this and I want this and I want this. They think the whole world evolves around them because that's what you did. You made them the hub. You made them the operating system. You cater to them all the time. And then the boss is going to listen. Why don't you go punch out permanently? Because you are here to do what I say. You're here to make me money. And you do your children a great disservice by having a bad marriage. And God's design for the marriage is followed, though. The husband is leading his family. He is leading them by word and deed. They see him serving in the church. They see him reading his Bible. They see him praying. They see him loving his wife. They see him teaching them how to obey the scriptures and what the scriptures say. Your example trains your children for a time when they leave to establish their own family according to God's design. And it starts here with the church. Husbands and wives, I send you out this morning asking you this question. Are you submitting to God's design for your marriage? Is your marriage a priority and do your kids know that? Have you proved it to them? If not, you need to confess your sins. And you need to ask God to help you make your marriage a priority and quit neglecting your marriage to pamper your children. Husbands, are you leading your family? Are you leading them in both word and deed by showing them what it means to be a servant leader who loves God, who loves his wife, who loves other people? Do they know you're a man of the word? You're a man of prayer that you want to obey God no matter what. Parents, are you training your children like you're supposed to? Do they see your relationship with Jesus Christ is something that's constantly growing as something just of absolute importance in your home. If you have placed your children in between you and your spouse, if your children have become the hub, you just need to confess that. Because you're doing your children harm and you're not giving glory to God if you don't follow his design. Remember, your children are temporary additions, but your marriage is designed to last a lifetime. So it must take priority. Husbands, get prayed up. The next few weeks are going to be brutal. And wives, pray for your husbands. And they, they are going to need it. It's going to be scary. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and just overviewing some of the very basics of family according to your design. Father, we see in your word things that are right there in plain English. We can read it. We see it. And yet so often because of our hard, sinful hearts, we just don't want to submit Father, I pray that this series would be used in the lives of each person here, regardless of where they're at, to equip them, to challenge them, to convict them, to change them and make them into better moms and sons and daughters and friends and grandparents. That, Father, 
through the study of your word, we would realize that the church has been negligent in a very fundamental area. We know your word says that leaders are first and foremost qualified to lead the church if their marriage is squared away and if their children are squared away and if their home is managed well. It all starts with the home. Father, we want to make an impact on the world, and we know it starts with our own lives and our own relationships to you and how we function in the home. So help us to live according to your design, that we might be holy, that we might give you glory and might make a huge impact on the world for you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.